Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about negotiation, talking about games that you look somebody in the eye and you lie to their face sometimes, maybe tell the truth, who knows? And we're talking to Fabian Zimmerman, uh, the creator of Good Critters. Fabian, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Gabe. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Uh, yeah, so really appreciate you being on the show. I'm excited to get into this today. Good Critters is one of the Dice Tower essential games, and, and so it's one of the games that Tom Vassell has kind of put up in the higher echelon of games that people should be playing right now. So I'm, I'm interested to get into how that game works and, and different things that uh, you, you did for that game as far as negotiation and the mechanisms in there. But before we get into all of that, tell me who you are, uh, how you got into game design, all that good stuff. Okay, my name is uh, Fabian Zimmermann, and... Um... I think about 15 years ago, I started to visit a local gaming group at university. And so like many of um, players, I got the idea that I want to, to have my own game there. And yeah, I did a little bit of uh, game design, but it was uh, far away from being published. And then I think in 2012, I went to a congress of board game designers and there met lots of people. And this was for me the start to, to um, do more. And I found out that a guy from my local gaming group um, is, was also interested in game design and we, we often met. And I went to other events and met other other game designers and uh, did a lot of um, testing of prototypes. And in 2015, my contract ended and um, I had no job at this time, but um, lots of time to, to work on my game design science and the idea to get my game published um, the game that um, later became good critters um, at this time it had a different theme and i couldn't find any publisher that wanted to do this game um, it was about uh, politicians and a president distributing money and so um, I decided to, to publish this on my own. I met other game designers and publishers that um, helped me to, to get all this uh, thing done. And uh, I had a small crowdfunding com campaign to collect some money. And together with this money and all my savings, I could um, publish this game and in 2016 I published Tiefe Taschen and um, 
Yeah, then um, I sent this game to to lots of reviewers, and one of the reviewers was Tom Wazel, and he really liked this game and asked me to to have it published uh, in the Dice Tower Essential line. Yeah, very cool. And now, are you originally from Germany? Is that right? Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And so, what were some of the games that really kind of got you into the hobby gets you into designing because you know I talk to a lot of people from all around the world, talk, but you know mostly people in America. And so I'm interested, someone from Germany, kind of the the mecca of of gaming. What were some of the games that really brought you in? So, um, Settlers of Catan was one of the the first games I played as kid, and I really liked it. And later at university, we most of the time we played um, heavier Euro games. Yeah, and but um, it turned out that I personally also like um, lighter games with lots of negotiation in it and uh, bluffing in it. So um, yeah, I found another group where more these kind of games and sometimes party games are played. Right, man. Well, let's get into the topic at hand. Talking about negotiation, you know. Wh- but let's get like a good working definition. When someone says a negotiating game, what does that mean exactly? I think it uh, means you you have to make some deals with um, other players to to be successful. So um, yeah, you you need to to offer something to to get um, something. For example. Um, victory points or or money yeah and so and it seems like these games have gotten more and more popular uh, and some of the most some of the most popular games of all time are negotiating games and so i'm excited to kind of talk through some examples uh, here in just a minute but let's talk about why why do people love these games like what is it about negotiating game no, negotiation games that just draws people in i think it's you you always have lots of um direct interaction you can make deals you can try to to trick others and um, yeah I, I think that's um, what people like to to have this um, high social interaction yeah definitely and then let's look at the other side what is it about these games that some people just hate because there's a lot of people who just like shy away from these games at all cost. And so it's kind of an interesting spectrum of people who love them, people who hate them. Why do you think some people just really hate these kind of games? Um, I think it's um, maybe the same reason others love this because um, you cannot just uh, concentrate on your your own actions or make your perfect move with, without... Um, yeah have to talk to others or have to to work together with other players and um, you can totally mess up by um, not uh, taking the other players into account yeah definitely and i'd say there's a lot of people who just aren't very good at it i think as well they, a lot of people don't want to play these games because they're, they're not good at negotiating i was reading an article a couple of days ago that's about negotiation in the business world and how this huge percentage of workers uh, all across the world not just in the united states but just the world in general uh, because they're so bad at negotiating that 
salaries have stayed at certain places and different things just because people don't like to talk about these things. They don't like to bring it up because it makes them nervous. It makes them anxious and you know creates tension, all these kinds of things. And so I can see where people maybe would want to avoid that in, uh, in their board games. But let's get into some of the examples. What are some of the biggest examples or best examples of these kinds of games? I think one one greater example is uh, Sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah, um, where you you always have to yeah con- convince the sheriff to not open your back or maybe to open your back. And um, Junter is an example where where you have to to um, a president distributing money and you um, have to make deals. Yeah, two of the ones that, that I came up with before the show, two, two of the most popular games of all time. And one is Diplomacy, and one is Cosmic Encounter. Have you played either of those games? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so those like just have tons. I mean, the, the, the heart of those games is negotiation. And so what what do you think it is about those games? I mean, those games are still being played even after you know decades and decades after being you know created. And so what is it about those games that just keeps drawing people back in? Yeah, I think it's uh, the the pure negotiation part and um, especially in diplomacy you you also have this um, yeah making deals but also um, betray other players and that's maybe one part uh, some players don't like that uh, things like this um, happen and I have some friends for them they cannot um, make a difference between real life behavior and behavior in a game so for them it's not good to play these kinds of games yeah i've heard a great way to end a friendship is to uh play your play with your friends in diplomacy and that'll that'll (laughs) cause a a rift between people uh, for sure and and something i heard you know a guy talking about diplomacy a while back it's such an interesting thing is he was talking about how you know he was negotiating with this person over here about one thing and negotiating with somebody else about another thing but really what he was doing was pitting them against each other so that he could win right and it was this really interesting web of, of lies and intrigue and you know who's telling the truth and who's not and, and it was just a very interesting uh, way to play a game and obviously like you're saying Maybe you, won't, maybe you don't want to live your life like this, obviously, but you can kind of do this kind of, this stuff in a game. And maybe that's another reason people are, are drawn to it is because they normally wouldn't lie to their friends' faces. They normally wouldn't stab each other in the back you know, and, and negotiate these different things. But in the game, you can. And so it kind of offers up that, that other world where you can be somebody that you normally wouldn't be. And uh, I think that's also something that's um, yeah, really cool about uh, this games. And... I personally don't like to have some real negotiations with my boss, but uh, in a game it's totally different. It's just a game, so you can't do um, whatever you want to. Yeah, for sure. And then a game like Cosmic Encounter, it, it has so many people at the table potentially. I mean, it has a pretty high player count. And there's just so many things going back and forth and all the different uh, faction alien abilities that play into the game and allow you to change the rules and break the rules. And so you're you're constantly trying to jockey for position. But then but it was really cool about that game is multiple people can win at the same time. Like you can have more than one winner. And and so it's, it's really like you'd have I guess you could have everybody wins except Steve, you know, everyone kind of 
gangs up at the very end and says, all right, we're all going to go into this. And then Steve, you lose and we all win. I mean, that's, that's a possibility as well. And so it creates these really interesting win slash loss scenarios, same as, as diplomacy. You, you can have, you, know, you can have more than one person winning in these games oftentimes. And so that creates an interesting dynamic as well. Yeah, definitely. All right. So let's talk about your game. Tell me, give me kind of the rundown of how good critters works and, and then we'll start breaking down why it works and why it became a dice tower essential. So in Good Critters, you have um, well, the players are criminals and the loot is distributed and uh, there's a boss and the boss reveals loot cards and distributes this among the players and he's totally free how he wants to do it. Um, he can just uh, keep most of the loot for himself or try to find a fair distribution. But the problem is after this is done, there's a negotiation phase and during this phase, players have to select um, their action card and uh, they can put a threat token in front of another player and also can bribe others. And as soon as no one wants to change anything, this round ends and then all players perform their actions. And two of these actions are vote yes or vote no. And if a majority votes for the distribution, every player gets the proposed um, part of, of the loot. And if not, another player becomes the new boss and there there are other things to do one person can skim to get some extra money and you can rob other players or play guard to defend yourself against rob and at the end of the game the player with the most money wins yeah gotcha and so walk me through some of the different negotiation things that are happening you mentioned bribes you know you can bribe each other like tell me how that works and and tell me like what what decisions players are making sitting at the table because i mean obviously everybody's trying to, to win so so you have to negotiate you know good for someone else that's better for you so help me understand how it works in your game so there's a first phase where the money is distributed by the boss and often in this phase um, players already start to negotiate and telling things like if you give me um, 7,000 I, I will vote for you or things like this and try to influence the boss to get uh, more more of the loot and then when this is done there's a phase where players have to play um, their, their card and in this phase you can make bribes and there are special tokens where I can tell you I want you to vote yes and I offer you a certain amount of money and you I can do this in a way that only or I can put one of my loot cards or more of my loot cards face down but you can look at this and can decide if you want to to um, accept this you do not have to tell me now but at the moment 
your card is revealed, it's checked if you have done what I wanted you to do. Or I can tell you I w want you to vote no and offer you some, some money. So there are some deals like this, but there can also be informal deals like um, if I become next boss, then I will give you more or next time. Maybe I'm the boss and I want you to vote yes and I can tell you, okay, this time this was not enough money for you, but next time you will get more if you now vote for me. Yeah, gotcha. And then tell me, what's the uh, player count on your game? It's uh, from four to eight players. Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, seems like these games do really well, do a lot better with higher player counts, with a lot more people there. And I don't even know if there is a two-player negotiation game. I mean, maybe it's, it's something out there. I don't know how, quite how that would work exactly. Uh, but why, why do you think it is that you just need more players for this style game? I think you can make uh, more, more deals and maybe it's... Um, yeah, I found out in, in good critters with a higher or with a low uh, player count, it's more predictable what um, will happen. And it's not so interesting than with a higher player count that's more chaotic and you you cannot be sure what, what will happen and how player will act. Yeah, that makes sense. You have more more people there trying to jockey for that position, so to speak, and more people trying to to figure out how to how to win and create a little more chaos. And you know, it's a, a I guess it's also a different experience. If you don't want it to be quite so chaotic, we'll only play it with four or five. But if you want it to be you know a lot of stuff going on, play it with seven or eight. And so you can kind of adjust the play experience by adjusting the number of players. Yeah, I I think so. Um, and um, for example, we we found out in. Or we had to change one of the rules from Tifatashin to Good Critters um, that if there's a tie in the vote, now um, another player becomes the the loot is distributed, but then another player becomes boss, and this was was done because it was a little bit too static in a in a four, especially in a four player game where the boss just could um, cooperate with one of the other players all the time and and maybe this is also one reason bec um, why it's better to have more players you cannot have this uh, small alliance of players always working together yeah that makes a lot of sense you, you can't have uh, it's, it's harder for groups of players just to get together and go okay you and i we're gonna we're gonna win this if we just work together well when you have eight people it's, it's a lot harder for them to, to pull that off now how long does your game typically last it um, highly depends on on the group but about um, half an hour so there are sometimes groups that are doing more negotiation and more trash talk at the table so for them, it, it takes longer, and others play fast. But um, right, and what is the end game trigger? Like, how do you get to the end game? There's um, a, um, one card in the uh, loot deck, and as soon as uh, this card is drawn, the game ends. So it's uh, the the fuss. So 
the police is coming and stopping stopping you and it immediately ends and this is also something i found out during um, designing tifetashen that it needs to have this um, sudden end because otherwise or in the first versions i just um, had the the, the game end was um, predictable and so players act differently in the last round and uh, this was um, was not um, perfect yeah i can see in, in this game if you had set you know the in-game trigger is whenever someone hits a certain amount of money well in that case as the game gets towards the end then other people just aren't going to negotiate with them at all right and so they just don't get to play anymore and, and so i can see where having an abrupt ending would be a lot more uh, interesting and also it's pretty thematic it's interesting though because you know some games in this negotiation genre like sheriff of nottingham like your game they're 30 minutes 45 minutes they're not that long and and they're just you know kind of on the shorter end of the spectrum but then you have a game like cosmic encounter which can last hours diplomacy which could last indefinitely you could play diplomacy for weeks and months and years even if you wanted to and so it's interesting how there's a, a big spectrum of how long these games last you know how long uh, that people are willing to, to spend time playing these games. Why Why do you think that is? Hard to tell, but I think it's um, maybe, or especially in diplomacy, you have um, a different kind of or different style of negotiation where you can meet with players in private while um, other games you have this open negotiation and everyone can listen and... Um, maybe you can yeah you have some hidden information like bribing someone but most of the part is um, is open mm -hmm. and you can see how um, how players behave yeah that's a good point i think you bring up another interesting idea is, is hidden information i feel like hidden information plays a pretty big role in these games it's like i'm trying to negotiate with you but i don't exactly know what you have i don't know what exactly what you're looking for or what you're trying to accomplish and so i have to make a guess about you know hopefully this is going to help me more than you but it might not you know i, I might be making a mistake and you can kind of uh uh, bribe people or a lot of people in certain ways or mislead them into helping you more than they realize based on hidden objectives and things like that. And so how, how much of a role do you think hidden information plays in these games? Um, I think they're yeah, very, very important that it's not, um, it's not clear what, um, what I will do. And it gives me the a way to, to maybe, um, mislead you in in my actions and that's part of the fun of these kinds kind of games yeah definitely now let's talk about your process and, and kind of how you came up with uh, good critters or you know obviously it was the game before good critters uh, and kind of walk me through what you did during the development process how you ended up at that final product so i had the first um idea was um, together with uh, this guy at university we talked about um, um, maybe you you know this um, theoretical um, problem of the pirate game and to put this into to a game where a captain is distributing loot 
and then it it turns out um, that this was um, not working so good and I later came up with the idea to have um, a political game and so I worked on Tifa Taschen to have um, this new theme where there's a president and this president um, was distributing money and the game ending condition was national bankruptcy and um, yeah I worked a, a lot on this streamlined the the action I went to several conventions and showed it to to players and played with them and for example in this um, in one of the first prototypes of Tifa Taschen the president changed every round and then one player told me so I don't get this and I explained him again and again how this worked and I thought oh how can he not understand this and then he told me I don't understand that after a successful vote I have to to give up my um, my um, job as president so um, and I told him yeah that's because the rules they this and I thought about it and um, changed the rule that you can can stay president or boss um, as long as the majority votes for you. Yeah, that's super interesting. And it, it, it's a pretty big uh, part of your game, right? That it's not changing every single round. And so, because now people have to be careful not to let the boss, you know, if he's just taking money off the top and things like that, they have to kind of keep him in check or her in check and not let that, that person run away with the game and you know, make sure that you're passing the boss token around when it, when it needs to be passed, right? And um, interestingly, often um, it's, it's not... Um, always good uh, to be boss to win the game but it's um, often lots of fun to to be boss and to to manipulate others and to to get your votes and so often the player um, or players not talking so much can win um, just um, because no one keeps track of them yeah, exactly. And now let's talk about some of your other design challenges that uh, that, that came up during the, the process. I think one or one former version, I had the the problem that you could not. I don't remember exactly how it was, but I had the problem that um, even if you can totally read all the other players there were situations where you do not have a, a good move or a good action to select and so um, I had to to change the actions um, in a way that you almost or um, always find something some good move and also, one thing that came up during the um, design was in the first version, all players revealed their actions at the same time. But um, this was a problem, especially um, 
since experienced players could immediately see what was um, the outcome, but uh, not so experienced players couldn't see it, and so there was no no tension in this moment. So I decided to to let players reveal the action clockwise, starting with uh, the president. Yeah, and um, this made other changes uh, possible. For example, at the beginning, there was the skim action, but uh, this could every player could do this, but um, it was way too too good and everyone wanted to to do this action but in introducing an order in performing these actions i could change it that only one player can can do it and only the first one can do it all right so let's talk about your playtesting process what what were some of the things that went into you know getting people together and playtesting this style of game like did you go out and search for people that love negotiation games or did you just kind of go out and ge- gamers in general like tell me Tell me about that process. Um, I played lots of um, games with friends and with uh, in also my local gaming group. I think some of uh, them don't like negotiation games so much, but um, I think a, a game should. Um, still work if players don't like this this kind of games or at least um, I could try that it was um, the rules were okay and um, and I also played with some friends that really love negotiation games but um, this is also dangerous because um, I had versions that didn't work very well but we had so much fun and I found out okay with some of these guys I I don't uh, I do not uh, have to bring a good game it's um, <laughs> we could have fun with uh, any kind of um, games where you can um, can have some negotiation yeah that's a really good point and how you got to be aware of the kinds of people who are playing your game, because there's some people that can make anything fun. You know, they can make uh, playing Candyland or Monopoly into this really in- incredible experience, just because of the nature of their personalities and the way they, uh, you know, approach games and whatnot. And so, yeah, it's something I think anytime you're playtesting a game is just to be aware of. Not only it, does the game work and is it fun, but are the people playing it? Is this just like really their kind of game, and so they make it seem like it's better or seem like it's more fun than maybe it really is? And uh, I had the chance to to go to several conventions and and show it to to random people there and uh, they played it and I just um, sometimes played with them and sometimes just watched uh, them playing and sometimes I, I thought mm, it was uh, not um, not so so much fun but they told me, oh, I, we, we really uh, liked it. And it's interesting to see it with, um, played by people you do not know at all and just uh, see how, how it works. 
Right. Now, were there any other issues that the playtesting kind of brought out and things that you hadn't thought about during the design process that playtesters were like, hey, what about this? And it's like, oh, oh that's, that's a good point. At uh, the beginning, um, with um, slightly different rules, the um, players um, complained about um, the importance of um, your put position at the table and that it was somehow not fair for them to to be in last position and it somehow changed a little bit as a way now the the who becomes the next boss at the beginning it just um, was uh, changed uh, to the next player in turn order but now it's uh, the first player voting know if the vote is rejected or if the distribution was rejected so um, this changed and maybe um, I thought it's okay for this kind of game to not to be totally fair Yeah, right. I mean, there's no game that's fully balanced, right? There's no game that's fully fair. And so you just kind of have to do the best you can and, and, you know, go with, sometimes just go with things because they work and because they're fun and not because they're the most fair. Uh, fun is better than fair, I think, when you're designing a game for sure. And I think these kind of games are um, better for, for people who just play for fun and not um, only for for victory, and there's one part in the game, it's this, um, the bribe tokens. And often it makes no sense to, to use them if you just calculate the outcome because you have to spend lots of money to convince others and it's really expensive. And you, if you only want to win, you better save this money but it's so much fun to to put a bribe in front of another player and try to to influence this player and um, i think it also gives um, the players that are not in the position of the boss more more things to do and uh, it makes it interesting for everyone yeah, definitely. Now, what are some of the mechanisms that lend themselves for these kinds of games? I know I Split, You Choose is a really good one where, you know, someone kind of divides up everything and then other people are choosing, you know, the what they want and you're trying to divide it in such a way that you get what you want while everybody else is able to get what they want. But what are some of the other mechanisms that, that really work well for negotiation? I think something like um, bribing works well, uh-huh. but uh, there sometimes like in in good critters or sheriff of nottingham you sometimes need some um, some rules for bribing so you cannot just um, promise something and so or at least it needs to be clear what are the rules and when can you promise something and do you have to keep your promises or how is uh, this handled yeah, that's a great point. You, you need some kind of structure, uh, some kind of rule system that tells players what they can and can't do as far as the in, in the realm of, you know, 
what can you promise? What can you bribe? What can you break? I feel like that's a, that's a really good point. Because if you don't put it in there, then it's going to get abused by certain groups of people. And it's um, then it's often not not clear what is allowed and what is not allowed. And um, I remember when I played Junter the first time and one player was um, explaining the game and then later he was in a negotiation phase but the other players thought it was uh, still part of the rules what he was uh, talking to us and so it was not so so clear what's um, what's allowed and what's not allowed and so um, things need to be defined yeah, and along those same lines, what are some things that you would suggest that people define? Like, what are some of the main things that need to be uh, defined in the rulebook just to make sure everybody's on the on the same page? You need to um, either put in, if you promise something, you need to to fulfill this promise, or you have to put in all your promises um are just promises and you can break them at any time or maybe something in between that you um, if you have from for example like in good critters uh, this bribe token then this is a binding bribe but you you are free to promise other things but these are only promises that can be fulfilled or not all right, Fabio, I really appreciate your time, man. Any other like closing thoughts or kind of final advice for somebody who's maybe working on one of these kinds of games right now? Maybe just um, try these games with lots of um, people. I think um, yeah, one thing I um, found out was that it's, it's um, easy to to find things that mechanically work, but it's hard to decide if if they're really fun, especially in these kinds of game where you have to look at people and see how they behave and if they like it or not. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like more so than a lot of other types of games, human psychology plays a big role in how enjoyable these games are or, or they can be. You really have to think about player psychology and how people approach different things at the table to, to find that sweet spot of what's really fun. Cause this is such a psychological meta game kind of going on on top of the actual game at the table. Yeah, definitely. And I think for these kinds of games, it's, it's more important um, the group you are playing these games with than maybe the rules. Yeah, that's another really good point is, is think about your audience. So if you're making one of these games, really, really kind of uh, drill down into who the audience is, who the demographic is, and then make the game for them as best you can. I feel like that's the, the best way to go. Yeah. Well, Fabian, again, really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, thank you for the wisdom and insight and advice and whatnot. And uh, good luck with Good Critters as it kind of hits the masses. And uh, congratulations on it becoming a Dice Tower Essential game. That's a, that's a really awesome accomplishment. I hope it does really well. And good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. 
Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?